0: I did maths in public.
1: This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript the Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS in depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jammer link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript This episode is sponsored by Rackspace. Are you looking for a place to host your latest creation? Want terrific support and high performance all backed by the largest open source cloud? What if you could try it for free? Try out Rackspace at javascriptjabber.com slash Rackspace and get a $300 credit over six months. That's $50 per month at javascriptjabber.com slash Rackspace. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5, and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. Hello,
2: everybody. My name is Joe Eames. I'll be your host today. And we have on our panel the illustrious Dave Smith. So good to be back. The amazing Jamison Dance. Hello. And the slightly above average, but ever so entertaining, A.J. O'Neill.
3: Yo, 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 yo. I'm going to get you for that.
2: <laughs> Live. And <laughs> and as our special guest, we have the fantastic Tyler McGinnis. What's up, everyone? Tyler, could you start us off with a quick introduction of who you are, what you do,
4: and why you do it? Absolutely. So I am Tyler McGinnis. I'm the lead instructor at a Learn to Code school here in Provo, Utah. Um, I'm also a member of the Firebase Experts program. I teach people to code, write curriculum, uh, and sometimes I try to program myself. Um, and why I do it because I really like seeing people grow and learn and kind of have that aha moment as they're learning to program.
5: You missed a good chance to make up cool facts about yourself right there. Just to let you uh, know,
4: I'm also so what what I also do just in my spare time just just for fun. I'm actually uh, I'm a jazz bear on the weekend, so I go up to the to watch the jazz play and I'm I entertain people at halftime. So that's oh, fun. sweet. <laughs> Wait. There you
0: go. Was that real? Because I really wanted to that's know a, that. That's a that's a great that's a great fact to make up because it's completely
4: unverifiable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you'll, you'll never actually know, and I'm, I'm never going to tell anyone. So.
0: actually, I'm pretty sure that by virtue of revealing that fact, you've confirmed that you are not the Jazz Bear because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that dude's under NDA.
5: Yeah, we'll see, Dave. We'll see. So, how did you get into Dev Mountain? What was your path there? Or sorry, Dev Mountain is the name of the code school. Yeah. Um How did you end up there?
4: I was in. I was going to BYU, which is just a school out here in Provo, uh, probably about three or four years ago, and I, and I started getting into web, develop, web development, and things were going really well, but I started to kind of look at other other coding boot camps or kind of other ways to accomplish the goal that I had. I guess the goal that I had was I just wanted to become a software engineer, and I wasn't too concerned about how I arrived at that goal. I was just more concerned that I got there, and so what I did is I started researching I came across a place called Hack Reactor, uh, which is a, a code school out in the Bay Area, they I mean, had super good reviews and all their alumni said they loved it. So I went out there, and they taught me the ropes with JavaScript and Angular and all those things. After I was done there, I came back to Utah and worked at a place called Needle, just as like a software engineer out here doing some Angular stuff. And as I was doing that, I started teaching part-time at Dead Mountain, and I really, really enjoyed it. And it was great being on the other end of things, like teaching people and and watching them grow and watching them uh, learn to program and having all those cool moments you have as, as you're first starting out. So I started teaching, got more involved, and then... The guys here at DevMountain talked to me, and they said, hey, we'd love for you to come on board. And now I'm here. Quite a ride. It was. Yeah, it's been great so far.
2: So how did Dev Mountain itself get started?
4: So Kalen Sharp, who's our CEO, he was working at Scan, who just recently got acquired by Snapchat. And there was a few coding boot camps there in, in California. And at the time, he was an engineer, software engineer, and he also kind of had an entrepreneurial background. So he thought, hey, Provo... Utah is a really big tech scene, and they're doing a lot of cool tech stuff here. So he kind of just got the idea, and he originally started out doing it part-time, and they just had like an after-hours class, which was a few times a week, and there was nothing, uh, nothing too big. And then he decided to quit his job at SCAN and start working on Dead Mountain full-time. So he got some founders, and they started doing it full-time, and then, yeah, now we're, we're where we are, which is pretty amazing. So how many years has it been going on? I think it's almost two years now, and they have, I don't know, I haven't even know how many students we have. we have two part-time web classes and one full-time class. Uh, and then they do some iOS stuff as well. So it's got pretty big.
0: So I have a, just a this should be a really easy question to answer, but h- how do I learn to code?
4: That is an extremely complex question. Um, Can
0: you answer that in like three words or less?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Struggle, failure, and tears. All yeah, well, right, be, <laughs> that was pretty so good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, th- I think, I mean, I, being in the position I'm in, I get that question asked a lot just because it is such especially in our, our day and age, it's, it's a question that people ask all the time. But I think the biggest thing, and I actually gave a conference talk on this a few weeks ago at Mountain West the biggest thing isn't so much like how, where do I start or like, what language should I learn. The biggest thing is just like finding something that you want to do and, and build and then learning the steps that you need to do in order to to build that thing. I, I guess the, the language that you learn or the thing that you learn or where, you, where even you start isn't as important as as starting somewhere and struggling and failing and doing that right over and over until all of a sudden you can build things and, and you can help other people do that.
0: Okay, so I'm going to go on on a limb and assume that most of our listeners probably already know how to code.
4: Absolutely, yeah.
0: But a lot of times, as someone myself who pretends to know how to people ask me how do I learn how to code, and I never know what to tell them. So I give people all different answers. I'm like, well, have you tried like reading a book? You know, and I'm like, you know, and I don't know what to tell them. What What do you tell people when they say, "How can I learn how to code?"
4: So, what's interesting is that, and I think it was Merrick a few years ago who mentioned this comment on JavaScript. Java was that we recommend uh, essentially the same path that we took. Um, so, a lot of people, if they, if they start out going to college and then they learn Java or whatever, we always recommend Java. Um, and then I and I try not to be biased, but I do the same thing where I started with HTML and CSS, uh, and then I jump to JavaScript, and, I, and that's really what I would recommend. Is I, I'd recommend. Getting started with HTML and CSS, and I know I'm going to catch a lot of slack because like that's not a real programming language or whatever. But if you're a beginner, you don't really care if HTML and CSS is a a real programming language. You just care that you're like things are showing up on the screen and you're not getting errors. So I start out there, HTML and CSS, um, learn how to position things, understand like the DOM, and understand what's going on behind the scenes. And then once you do that, jump to like vanilla JavaScript and start manipulating the DOM uh, and start looping over things and and creating data structures and things like that. And then then once you understand the DOM, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. From there, I mean, there's so many places you can go, whether it's like a framework or jQuery or, or whatever. So that's what I recommend. Just starting out with the, like the fundamentals of web development, which is just HTML, CSS, um, and JavaScript, and then just going from there.
0: Are there any particular resources to help teach that that are really good for new people?
4: Yeah. Another thing, this is such a tough question to answer because everyone's different and everyone learns differently. So I've, I've had times where there, there were like beginner books that I absolutely loved. And I'd recommend them, and then the person would go and do them, and they're like, yeah, that's okay, but I really like this resource, and the resource that they loved, I hate it. So I think just the way all of us process information differently, we tend to to enjoy or hate different materials that other people might hate or might enjoy as well. So I think the biggest thing is just doing something. Just consuming what I tell my students is get to the point where you're just consuming a bunch of information, because eventually something that you read will click, and we're lucky to live in the day and age that we are where there's so much information, whether it's a book, whether it's like a podcast or, or a YouTube video, or even if it's like a blog post or a Stack Overflow post, there's so much information. So if you're struggling with this particular topic, just Google that topic. You can read everything that you can until it clicks.
2: I think that's really awesome advice. Although there are a few things that I've seen that are, in, I think in general, more effective than other things. Like Books are okay, but I've seen a lot of online stuff that be just a lot more effective than books, like Khan Academy, Code Academy, Code school, mm-hmm. for example. But one of the things that I actually have found to be the most effective as my daughter was learning to program, I don't know if you've heard of her. That's it, yeah, she's great. <clears throat> she spoke, she yeah. spoke
4: at EdgyConf, didn't she?
2: She did. Yeah, she did great. speak at Golf. And um, She was my favorite talk,
0: uh, by the way. Mine too, by the way. <laughs> <She was laughs> seriously. Up there for sure. No, seriously, I mean, she was so awesome.
2: Uh, it was. A, it was a really good talk. It definitely was. I was really proud of her. But one of the things that she did was something that you guys had her do before she started your program. Yeah which was, it's called uh, A Smarter Way to Learn, is that dot yes. .com? Yeah,
4: smarter. So, I think so. It's A Smarter Way to Learn JavaScript. Smarterway to let learn, That's the URL. So what that book is, is it's he does, he's actually not a JavaScript developer, which is really interesting. Um, I think he's coming, the author's coming from a PHP background, but what he does is he walks you through knowing nothing and taking you to like knowing the fundamentals of JavaScript. So you'll walk through like creating a variable, which is like a string and then like a number, like super, super fundamental stuff, but he doesn't he doesn't make any assumptions that you know something that you don't know, but what I what he also does, which is cool, is he has his book, but there's a companion to the book, which is a website, which is a smarter way to Um and he ha- just has a bunch of activities that you can go through to kind of cement the things that you learn in the book. So it's, so it's this combination of reading something, but also getting hands-on practice, and, and we found it to be really successful at Dead Mountain.
2: And it's, another thing that's really cool about it is each little piece is very short reading, okay. 10 minutes, so you you don't get in there and get just bored down in the details and, like, start missing things because you've been reading so long. Read for 10 minutes, then you start going doing exercises, and then come back when you're done. And I thought that that was – my daughter had done a lot of – she'd done Code Academy, she'd done Khan Academy, and then she did that one. And she said that that was by far the best one that she had done.
4: Yeah, that's typically the feedback that we get from all of our students is that, like, they tried all these different things. And the problem with those things is it's it's either too boring or too long or – it's short and interactive and fun, but you don't really walk away learning a bunch. So what we found, yeah, with The Smarter Way to Learn JavaScript, if it's a little bit of everything that equals you uh, actually like learning and applying things, which is great. So, AJ, did you have a question? So I don't know that it fits in right now, but I'll go ahead and go back
3: to it anyway. The thing that I was going to say is there's kind of two camps of people, it seems like, that come into programming. There's people that approach it as like an art, like they want to be creators. They want to be, you know, the Da Vinci's. And then there's other people that come in because they want to be the technicians, like they want to get a job where they can, you know, if they get a specification, they can do this one particular thing and they can get that block pushed from one side of the concrete to the other side of the concrete kind of thing. So my my question was going to be, do you feel that Dev Mountain caters more to one of those camps than the other, that I'm wrong about that thought or that both of those are accomplishing the same thing, essentially, like comments on that?
4: Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a fine line. The, the way I've designed curriculum and the way we, we have teachers uh, approach the situation is is pretty much like I want people at the end of this, say, say we're taking one lecture. I want to have learning objectives for that lecture, and then at the end of the lecture, I want students to be able to accomplish those learning objectives. But what we found is if we're able to do that and we're able to do it every single day of the class until they start actual projects, the border between those two is very fine, and whether you want to be more creative or whether you want to be super technical and go get a job or whatever, the fundamental, I guess the least common denominator there is being able to build stuff and being able to program something and watch it and even like send the URL to your mom, right? So it's tricky because it's like initially when we start going into JavaScript fundamental stuff and we're covering like loops and objects and arrays, like there's not much creativity going on there. But then once we start covering things like Angular and building things and, and doing jQuery, then then it kind of goes more toward the creative side. So it's a little bit of balance. I think you're I think you're spot on, Jade, that there is both sides of it. And it's my job, I guess, to make sure that, that no matter where you're coming from, that you enjoy the experience, but you also get some good results from it as well. Okay. So are you
5: familiar with the Learn X the Hard Way series that Zed Shaw started? Like Learn uh, Python the Hard Way, Learn Ruby the Hard I Way? I
4: have heard of it, but I haven't dug too too far into that now.
5: So it's a series of books that are all about rote repetition as a way to mm-hmm. learn and kind of reinforcing memorization. And it shows you the code first in a section and then has you type it in verbatim and then walks you through each step what that code is doing it seems like a very different philosophy around learning than lots of the more interactive things where do you see the value of just kind of like memorizing and, and and getting stuff shoved into your brain versus exploration like how do you balance those two things when teaching people how to code
4: that's a great question. It's, it's really tricky to do because what I find a lot of students doing, and this isn't saying that like that paradigm doesn't work because obviously a lot of people love those books and they're huge, right? But what I found is that if students get to the, into the rhythm of memorizing solutions, then when that solution changes a little bit, they're completely thrown off because they don't know how to approach it from like a problem-solving perspective. They more just approach it from like, I'm memorizing the solution perspective. And that happens all the time with beginners is the easiest thing is to learn to memorize the solution rather than like learning the steps and the way to think about solving the solution. So I've actually, at least from my experience, and this varies, but my experience is that memorizing a solution is in the long run doesn't help the student as much as just like more memorizing the steps that you need to take in order to solve the solution. And Maybe that's a finer line than I'm realizing it is, but at least that's just what I've seen in my experience.
5: Yeah, I think the books aren't supposed to be around memorizing the solution. It's more if you type a for loop ten times, you might pick it up kind of the eighth time. Gotcha. You might not. You might not get it right away, but if you just do it without understanding it, then understanding will come.
4: Gotcha. Now, yeah, I guess I, looking at it from that way, I guess we definitely have that in our curriculum. We just, for example, we'll talk about like arrays, and then then we get into for loops. Um, and then we'll loop over an array, then we'll loop over just like a, a set number, and then we'll loop over like something else. So, so it's the same idea where you're constantly doing it. Ours, I guess, is just disguised because there's more material on top of just looping. Sure.
5: I guess a, a related question is how do you balance letting people struggle when they don't understand things versus helping them? This is a thing I struggle with a lot when I'm trying to teach people. If if I know the answer, my instinct is to jump in, and sometimes I even catch myself reaching for their keyboard, And just do it. Like, I know how to do it. I know where you're stuck. Let me solve it for you. Um, And and sometimes people are really stuck and they can't progress if you don't explain something to them or give them the answer. But sometimes struggling is how people learn. And it's how I still learn, too. So how do you balance being too helpful versus uh, making sure people don't get stuck where they can't unstuck themselves?
4: Yeah, definitely. It's extremely tricky. I think there comes a point where, and that's where like this boot camp generation, I think is really, really good because there becomes a point where you're so like frustrated and you've been stuck for so long that being stuck further isn't really helping you. But I think until that point happens, being stuck and trying to like struggle and solve a problem is extremely important for your learning and extremely important for your understanding. And that's one of the biggest things what we try to tell our students uh, here at DevMount is, is you're going to like be frustrated and you're going to struggle and there's going to come a point where you're like, Hey, I'm just not built to program, but all of the, that is like extremely beneficial because you do you're, you're like fixing your brain and, and teaching your brain how to solve these problems, uh, which is what you're, what you're trying to be able to do the rest of your life. Right. But I definitely agree. There, there comes a point where struggling any further is not good. And so I guess at, at, Man, what we try to do is have a process so when we see that struggling happen and when we see that like negative struggling happen we're able to take take action but before then we try to be really hands-off so it's it's something that's really hard to do but it's i think it's something that you just have to constantly remind your teachers of and your mentors of and the students of is this idea of like progressive struggling and to a point sure that makes sense
5: How do you train instructors? The skill set for being a good teacher is so different from the skill set for being good at building products. And I feel like lots of the boot camps are started by people and staffed by people that are great developers, and now they're thrown into this completely different area of the industry where their skills might not transfer very
4: well. Yeah, so what what I found is the easiest solution is to find people who are naturally good at teaching and then just make them better. So the process we take here is that basically if you want to teach and you're passionate and, and you know your stuff, we'll, we'll interview or whatnot, but we'll let you be a teacher. And if that goes well, then you just keep teaching, right? Because students love you. And it's, it's very easy to spot like a natural teacher because they're able to like emphasize with students and they're able to understand how, how a student's able to approach a problem and, and help them. But you're, you're absolutely right. And there's a lot of really, really talented developers who aren't the best teachers. So I think the biggest thing for us is just finding the people who who are a mix of both and then just like making them better. And then if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out or whatnot. But the biggest thing, and, and to be totally like disclosed on this, like Dave Smith, who's on this panel is one of our teacher. Joe Eames is one of our teachers. Like, like finding teachers is difficult, but it's not impossible, right? There's people out there who love, who love helping other people. And naturally those people are the ones who, who make the best teachers because they really care about the student and they're able to emphasize with them.
0: So you said it's a matter of finding those teachers and making them better. How do you teach the people who teach the teachers to be better teachers?
4: Uh, feedback, definitely. So we try to have a pretty tight feedback loop here at Demon because what we'll do is, is we'll have a lecture, and then we usually like a week or two later we'll get, we'll get feedback from the students. And, and it's easy for me to say, like, hey, Dave, you're such a great teacher. I think you're fantastic because like I really like you as a, as a developer and we're friends. But if a student replies and says, like, hey – this teacher was like the worst, this is what they need to work on. It's super easy to get feedback that way because your students are your customers and your students are interfacing with you every single day. So if you don't take advantage of that like really easy way to get feedback, I think you're doing yourself a disfavor. Um, so the biggest thing is just, just feedback and then making actionable items out of that feedback and then re- replying to the teacher saying, hey, 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 this is what the student said and this is how I, what I think you can work on. And it's a fairly easy process when, when the students are guiding the reviews so
5: students will have lots of feedback. It might not be, how do I say it? I think there's, there, there's value in feedback from students, but there could also be value in feedback from experienced oh. teachers. How do you balance that out? Especially for something like, I guess this comes up more in college. Maybe maybe this isn't a good question. Okay, I'm gonna go back and think about this until no, like, I actually, formulate a better question.
4: I actually think I, I understand what you're you're talking about because a lot of times well, like
5: good... I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about teachers I had whose classes were hard, and so lots of the students' feedback was negative because exactly, yes. they didn't do well in the class, right? And and that's not necessarily the best way to improve. I mean, there could be valuable things to glean from that, but it, it could also be like the student didn't try hard or or Definitely. and they're mad about it.
4: Yeah, what we found is that – so we try to be, like, fully transparent, and, and it's all about expectations up front. Right? Like, like if, you, if you establish the expectation with the students that, like, hey, this is going to be extremely hard, that doesn't mean the teacher's bad. That doesn't mean the mentors are bad. That doesn't mean the curriculum's bad. That just means, like, learning to program is, by nature, really difficult. Um, and I think once you establish that, then the negative feedback that you get, which is, like, not really beneficial to anyone, naturally goes away because students understand that, hey, this is going to be hard – and just because it's hard doesn't mean that this system is bad. It just means it's, it's, it's hard. So what, if, and if for any reason that I do get feedback like that, I'll usually go and talk to the student. But I think just establishing those expectations makes it so that we don't really get that kind of feedback. Um, and if we do, then I just filter it out before I talk to the teachers about it.
0: Can we talk a little bit about programming languages for a minute? Yes. Why is JavaScript a good language to learn for a new person?
4: Or is, is it? it? I think it's a fantastic language to learn. So what's funny is about the internals of Dub Mountain, they have like an iOS class and they have a JavaScript class. So we're always getting into it uh, because I'm like super biased obviously for web, but I think with JavaScript, it's everywhere, right? Like it's so accessible to students. All they have to do is open up like their phone or their computer and it's right there in the console. Um, And I think that's super powerful because when you gain more experience, you kind of take for granted how difficult it is to like transpile something or like compile something. Like it's, it's just a, it's not an unnecessary abstraction abstraction, but as you're, if you're a student, you really care about like the underlyings of how things work and just like the basic processes. And if you have this language which is compiler, even like um, I've been doing a lot of React lately. So even going from like JSX and transfiling that to JavaScript, it's a step that you really have to, to help students understand because in their minds, it's just a language, right? What's the difference between JSX and JavaScript in a beginner's mind if they don't know any of those? So what's great about JavaScript is it's so accessible. Uh, it's it's everywhere now, but there's also these paradigms in JavaScript that you get everywhere. I mean, you obviously get like objects and arrays and for looping and stuff. But if you do it right, you can teach like oriented programming in JavaScript. You can teach about like the this keyword, and it's definitely quirky and weird. But if you take JavaScript and you teach it, but you also as you're teaching it compared to other languages and how the, how kind of more like the architecture of JavaScript, I think it's a beautiful language. And it's fantastic to teach because it's so accessible and comparing JavaScript to other languages, it it works very, very nicely in the paradigm of like beginner's minds.
0: So what is it about the language that does that? I mean, obviously it's ubiquity is one thing. I mean, the tools are readily available and no one needs to install a development environment. But what about the language itself, like the constructs and the idioms and just the style of the code? Is there something about that that makes it approachable for new developers?
4: No, I I really, I mean, there is, like I said, like, like for loops in JavaScript are, are pretty much consistent throughout every language.
0: Wait, did you just say for loops in JavaScript are consistent?
4: <laughs> sorry, from, from the languages that I've seen, right? Like, I'm,
0: I mean, I'm just thinking how insane the for in behavior is. Okay, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry,
4: sorry. I say, sorry. I when I say for loops, I mean like for var i equals zero. For in is an entirely different discussion. Uh, yeah, I, okay. yeah. I usually I try to be very specific with my language. So yeah, for loop. <laughs> speaking like for var i equals zero, like um, I is listening right at length. That's consistent, but really the biggest thing is it's just the atmosphere in the ecosystem of JavaScript. Not only that, so, so I know I'm, I'm kind of avoiding your questions, like what language-specific things does JavaScript have that aren't in other languages? But I really think the benefit of JavaScript isn't necessarily that, but it's like the ecosystem. It's like you can go on Stack Overflow and you could search for anything related to JavaScript, and the top answer is going to have like 6,000 upvotes because it's been asked so many times, um, and it's been answered so nicely, and, and we're starting to get to the point with, like, the JavaScript ecosystem, there's, there's all these books coming out, and, and it's it's a very, very good time to be getting into JavaScript because it is starting to get everywhere.
3: Neat. So I, this question probably would have been better asked right before, but I wanted to ask about the situation. I mean, how many students do you have in the class? Like 20, 30?
4: We have, yeah, we usually try to have about 30 in the class. Okay.
3: So, I mean, so on the one end of the spectrum, you've got, like, the two whiz kids that... Like, before you even have done anything, they've already researched the night before because they're just on fire and they're, like, totally ahead of everybody else. Uh And they're not even paying attention to you, like, most of the time, like, after that first week or whatever, right? Uh On the other end of the spectrum, you've got the two guys that completely did not understand anything from the first week. And then you've got all these people in the middle. What do you do to mitigate that problem of, you know, you have X number of instructors, and you're trying to reach this audience that is actually, the gap kind of widens as you go along sometimes.
4: Yep, yeah, I think kind of the unsung hero of DevMap and the system that we build is our mentor. So for the full-time class that we have, there's five or six full-time mentors and each student is assigned a mentor. So what th- we're able to do there is, is now all of a sudden, each student's accountable to one person and that one person who they're accountable to just has five or six students that they need to watch out for. Um, so what I'll do is I'll have weekly meetings with all of my mentors and we'll talk about each student and we'll verify that like students are where they need to be and things like that. So, I mean, obviously the more advanced students like go and just do their own thing and they just love it. But we're able to keep an eye on the entire class because we're able to have those mentors who each who each are responsible for just five or six individuals.
3: That's cool. Are you also able to use like people that are on the upper tier to become like pseudo mentors to the people
4: on the lower tier? So we don't have a system that enforces that just because I feel, I feel like um, – and what I've seen that like enforcing someone to help out someone else doesn't really work out a lot because it's not coming from a good place. But naturally, right. that's actually what occurs is that people who feel confident and, and they love it and, and they're just so engulfed in this like learn to program like idea that they naturally become like these mentors to other students who aren't doing as well. And then there's like this relationship that forms and it's really cool to watch as a teacher because – because now all of a sudden all the class is helping the class and you can kind of just, like you don't even have to provide resources and they naturally just start learning and growing on their own. So it's really amazing to watch, but we do obviously provide resources just in case that doesn't happen.
0: So can you can you tell us some stories, Uncle Tyler? <laughs> Specif- specifically, I'd like to know, tell us about a student, and you've seen quite a few now, maybe a couple yep. hundred, go from yep. basically zero knowledge of programming to Uh, A point where they can actually do some programming, right? Tell us a a story about a student who did so well and learned so much so quickly that you were just super impressed with them. And tell us, like, what they did and what made them special in that regard compared to other students.
4: So, we had a woman in uh, one of our classes. And from the very start of the class, she was just, like, extremely exciting. She would do the pre course material, she would come to class, and she'd, like, participate in classes. And not only did she do that, but she'd, do, she'd obviously do all the curriculum, but during the weekend she'd actually build projects on her own um, that allowed her to reinforce the things that we learned in class. And so she came in not knowing anything, and by the time the three months was up, just because she'd been working so hard she'd be building all these projects, not only did she have, like a, she'd have an awesome GitHub account because she was doing all these side projects, but when it came time to like interview and do jobs, there was a bunch of companies that wanted her just because the excitement that she had for web development for learning specifically was so powerful she basically just picked the job she wanted and now she's there and she's been thriving ever since. So I see that. I mean, we have another student who worked at Subway before, and I'm not saying Subway's a bad career or anything, but he, was, he graduated high school, just worked at Subway, um, and was doing his own thing. Then he came to Dead Mountain and just, same thing, just loved it, just worked hard. Um, and now he's at a dev shop here in Utah. So, so I mean, it happens a lot where I see someone and they come in and they don't have much experience, but if they kind of drink their Kool Aid in a sense, I guess, and just, just trust the system and trust the teachers, it, they'll get great results.
0: So, would you say that a common theme is people working on stuff that interests them, uh, like on on their own personal projects?
4: I I I would say the common theme is for one finishing the curriculum that we write, and then on your own trying to take the principles that you've learned in class and build a project around those principles. Uh, I think I mean you can I mean you can build so many static HTML CSS sites that don't really help you, but if for example you're taking you're looking at like an Angular like services versus factories. One app you would build, you'd use all services. The next app you would build factories, and the next app you just like you would just like combine them, right? And, and it sounds weird from like an experience, like from like a senior level looking down, but it's it's like how beginners learn, right? Like taking different things and taking different things about the language, and then just tweaking them slightly and, and putting your own taste on them. I think I think super powerful.
0: So when when you have these students that are obviously like they obviously very interested in it and they are very good at it and passionate about it, like why in this case did they never? Learn on their own. Like, why for those students did they not jump into programming until they came to your bootcamp?
4: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I try to really create an environment where those kind of students, even if they've never felt that before, they will learn to feel that kind of emotion when they're at DevMat. And I think that's the biggest thing. And I think it's what a lot of bootcamps really do well is that they're able to create this environment and this culture of learning and growth and like loving and, and helping other people that is really, really hard to do if you're an individual just starting out learning to program. That's probably the biggest, the biggest strength of boot camps in general is, is, is that idea where people can come and if, even if they're not super excited going, by the time they're a week or two into it, if you did it right, they're just going to be absolutely in love with lear- the idea of learning itself.
0: So are you saying that sometimes programming is just overwhelming and discouraging to people unless they are surrounded by people who are excited and
5: can guide yeah.
4: them? Turns out that's, that's true in any, any part of your career, right? No, I, I, yeah, it's
0: yeah, interesting.
5: Yeah, I was just thinking about how many parallels this has to learning as an experienced developer. I mean, the, the basics of how computers work and programming in general are familiar, but you still have that same feeling of like getting totally stuck and I have no idea what's going on and getting discouraged. And so, those are good principles to learn.
4: Definitely. I think the biggest thing we, we or one of the biggest things we try to tell our students is like, hey, if, if you don't enjoy learning right now, then you need to find something else because you're going to be doing it the rest of your life. If you don't enjoy that, this is not a good place to be, right? Because like, think about like the Angular versus React wars that I know everyone hates, and it's, it's not really a thing, but like, the idea was Angular was really big six months ago, then React came along, and now we all have to learn React. And when Angular 2.0 2. comes out, we all have to learn Angular 2.0. Like we're, we're always learning, and if you don't like the idea of learning, it's not going to be a good career for you, I don't think.
5: I remember the first time I feel like I became really kind of an expert in a stack, and then I went to try and learn something new. And I, I like forgot that I had to be a beginner because I was used <laughs> to being an expert. And it freaked me out and made me really grumpy. And I took it all out on the technology I was trying to learn. Like, oh, this thing sucks. It's so awful. It's terrible. It's hard to learn. No, it's just new. And you forgot how to be a beginner. Okay, well, Are you oh,
2: sure it wasn't awful and terrible? I'm sure, yes. <laughs>
5: well, okay, what was the technology, James? I will not say. Oh, <laughs> come on. Visual Basic
2: oh. 3. <laughs> <laughs> you liar! <laughs> that's a national, that's an interplanetary lie right there. Okay,
4: Uncle Tyler, yeah, well, can you
0: tell us another story?
4: Yeah, well, actually, I, I want to stay on this topic real quick. So okay. we're doing right now at Dead Mountain, we're hosting this thing called React Week, which is basically just so Ryan Florence, who works in a structure, wrote, wrote uh, React Router. He's here and he's teaching. Um, it's basically just a week long workshop with like React JS, Flux, um, React Router, and every essentially like everything React. And it's been amazing to watch because our, our, some of our students have like, they're either working on group projects right now or they're, they're down there with, with Ryan and React Week. And we have, we have senior developers from like Twitter and, and all over the world here at DevMountain right now. And I was actually talking to Kaylin, our CEO, about this is that it's really interesting to watch because our students are down there. And if you had to ask Ryan, who was, who was a DevMountain student and who was like the senior dev at Twitter, it would be very hard to distinguish just because like day two of learning something Like whenever you have to learn something new, the playing field gets leveled. And obviously like the senior devs are going to learn it a lot quicker. But when you're on day one and day two, like everyone's down there, everyone's struggling, everyone's frustrated, but everyone's excited about learning that it's, it's amazing to watch like the, just the difference between really beginners and really senior developers is very, very thin when they first start learning a new technology or something new.
5: Hopefully the difference doesn't disappear by the really senior developers becoming really snooty. That's the nightmare, like, <laughs> yeah. okay, I, I've seen this for a week. I clearly am qualified to give these sweeping opinions about how terrible it is.
4: <laughs> yeah, how bad JSX is.
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this reminds me of this thing that I saw 10 years ago, which sucked, so I hate it today. And... Yeah.
4: Sounds like you're talking about maybe the Flux debate that's been going on. Anyway, <laughs> uh, specific. No, yeah, it's I don't it, think... Yeah, no, no, that's no, true. Um, yeah, I, I think, and that's the biggest thing as a beginner, or as a senior dev, too, is like, you have to, if you're giving advice to beginners or if you're teaching beginners, doing anything with beginners, you have to like understand where they're coming from and you have to not give bad advice to your beginners. Like a lot of the times you'll hear like, oh, I'm, I'm starting out and I'm, and I'm doing Objective-C because I want to write iPhone apps. Then the web guy goes like, why, why are you learning Objective-C? Like that's completely dead. You should learn Swift or you should learn JavaScript. It's terrible for a beginner because now it just confuses the beginner, right? Um, so I think, yeah, as a, as a senior dev or whatever, the biggest thing that we can do to benefit beginners is is just under, try to understand them and try to emphasize with them whenever we can.
5: Yeah, there's something called the beginner's mind. There was an article about learning Emacs, and it talks about how, especially if you're good at another text editor, you have to kind of clear your brain of that feeling of being really comfortable and knowing exactly what you're doing, because that feeling will not exist when you're learning new stuff.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely.
0: Okay, so c- can you tell us the age of the youngest developer that you've seen go from no skill to proficient coder and yeah. the oldest?
4: So the youngest is a, a young woman named Katya, she actually joins his daughter, which we talked about earlier. Joe, how old is she? 17 now or 16? Still 16. She is still 16, yeah. So she's in the current cohort right now, and she's just done absolutely amazing. It's been fun to watch her. She spoke at NGConf, obviously. She, so she's probably the youngest. The oldest one, we have...
2: Is it this cohort? I met a gentleman. one of the te- guys I met. in This cohort seems pretty
4: experienced. Yes, there are a lot. I mean, we we have guys probably in their like early fifties. I think would probably be the, the oldest we've had. So it's it's amazing to watch. Like it doesn't really matter the age. The only thing that matters is if you really work hard, if you're passionate, um, and all those things we always kind of talk about uh, but take for granted. And so it's been it's been cool to watch because also too is is the people who are older are coming at it. They usually have some like finance background or business background, and they're coming up programming from an entirely different perspective, which I think we take for granted, especially like me, who's just like, I'm going to program, and then I program, and now I've just been programming as my career. I think I I have so much to learn from them, uh, but they also have so much they can learn from the programming world as well. Yeah,
2: I really think those are some of the coolest stories. You know, those that are super young, but those that are super, like, not typical age. So they're not in their early 20s or mid 20s. -hmm. Just got out of college, didn't like what they were doing, and then found out about a boot camp, right? These are people that have been doing something, and for one reason or another decided, I want to do something new. For example, I have a close friend. He was in the finance world, and in the downturn in the economy, he kind of felt this pressure to become dishonest, didn't want to do it, so he decided to leave the industry. And he's told me, hey, I would like to learn to program, because he's always liked games, like computers, been fairly technical. So I spent like two years coaching him through programming, right? Right. Learning to program in .NET, and then he got a job. It took him. It took him about two years of being on his own. He was like coding sixty hours a week on his own before he finally landed that junior developer job. And now, this is before there were boot camps. Now, with a boot camp, you could do the same, almost essentially the same thing in ninety days, just because it's a lot more intense. There's a lot more regular feedback, that feedback loop about how you're learning and how you're doing. And the curriculum, obviously, is a lot better than me just telling them, all right, now go spend some time learning this. <laughs> Watch these videos on the internet and then try it out.
4: Yeah, definitely. I think boot camps, sometimes they get a lot of flack for like just being these factories that just create these junior devs. But I really think they've been a benefit to our industry just because we're finding these people who wouldn't go into programming um, and we're giving them an option. like People who don't really like traditional academia, Um, who would do other things. We're we're kind of bringing them into our industry, and I think that's fantastic because it's it's making it so our industry is more diverse, but it's also a benefit for them because they're able to come and they're able to get to that junior level really quickly, uh, which I think is important because then once you're at a junior level, you can kind of go and and learn anything you want once you understand the fundamentals of things.
5: So I want to ask a little bit about, I mean, obviously it's valuable to Dev Mountain to talk a lot about the success stories. And it sounds like you're pretty familiar with lots of the, the most successful people that have uh-huh. done really well in the program and gone on to, to great jobs. What about the people that it, it doesn't work so well? I mean, uh-huh. can, you, can you talk at all about employment rates? And I mean, what if I go through the program, I just kind of do okay, I finish it, and then I don't have a job at the end? What happens yeah. then?
4: That's actually my biggest beef with this industry is we become so like getting a job is the most important thing. And I think that's, and that's obviously good and it speaks a lot for quality. Um, and I'm not avoiding the question. I'll give you our job statistics in a bit. But I think it it really doesn't help the idea of like, hey, you're going to come and you're going to work extremely hard. And by the end of it, if you interview well and if, and if people like you and, you and you can learn to program, they'll give you a job and they'll pay you to do this. So, so that's, I guess, that's just a side note as I, as I wish we would focus more on like the quality of, the program and teaching people the fundamentals of JavaScript and things like that rather than job statistics. But sadly, that's not what students want. That's not what our paying customers want. Sure. Um, so we finished, we have two classes for web, one's the part-time and one's the full-time. Um, as far as jobs, we try to say, hey, if you're looking for a job after this, if you want to do this as a career, you really need to come to the full-time class because we're, we're with you every day. We have, we have mentors dedicated to helping you all day, every day. Uh, we just have so many more resources we can provide them than we can for like, say, the part-time class, which is just a few hours a week. So four, we we finished our first full-time cohort about three months ago. And from what I've heard, we have so we have a, a woman inside Dead Mountain who her job is to like follow up with students and make sure that they're doing well. She reported to me last week that all but one of them have a job um, at different places. Like there's people in California, people in Utah. So I don't know what this st- what the statistic is for that when it's like twenty-nine out of thirty. But that's been successful. And I and I hope that we can continue to provide people jobs but that's not my biggest priority as a lead instructor i'm just here to help people learn to become uh, web developers as good as they can and usually that correlates with a job but sometimes it doesn't so i'm not too worried about job placement i mean we have people on board who are but i just want to have students enjoy their experience and struggle yes but learn and be able to build things at the end of it
5: Sure. So maybe some of that comes down to the messaging. I haven't looked too much about how Dev Mountain markets itself, but mm-hmm. I know lots of the boot camps are like, give us this paycheck. Guaranteed. To oh have yeah, a it's, job."
4: It's terrible. I absolutely hate it. And so, then they
5: do sketchy things to manipulate numbers like they don't yes. count people as graduated if they don't get a job
4: or Exactly. No, it's it's a complete problem in the industry and it's something that like every boot camp I know, besides maybe a few, try to like hide and manipulate it. And and so when I got when I first started with Dev Mountain, they Kind of had that where they weren't were like fluffing their numbers or anything, but it was very number focused. And on the website, there was like statistics and all these things. And the problem with statistics—they're always changing. We're always graduating people. So since I've came on, that's probably the biggest, I guess, the biggest effect that I've had on our marketing team, which I'm sure they hate. Is I just hate like boot camps <laughs> who do that because like if, if you know me, I'm like I try to be really straightforward. And if I don't think you're going to be a success story then not, I'll have you not come and, and do more pre course stuff. So if you look at our website, there should be no statistics on there just because like I don't want to be labeled. I don't want Dead Mountain to be labeled with that group of like, oh, like they fluff their numbers and you can't really rely on their numbers. And I would say for anyone who's, who's listening to this and who's interested in going to a bootcamp, talk to their alumni because their alumni are like their customers and their alumni will, will tell you the true story where, where if you come to me or if you come to anyone else on staff here or, or any other boot camp, they're going to tell you like the marketing pitch. But I think going to the alumni can give you like the real story of what happened there. Um, I think that's that's the best way to approach
0: it. So uh, I just wanted to insert a funny story. I heard about a law school that had uh, the same kind of job statistics that they would post, and uh, if people didn't get a job as a lawyer out of their school, they would actually put them to work on their school's newspaper so that they could claim like uh, really geez. high <laughs> employment percentages. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> so it's not just boot camps. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I think I think it's any business that is teaching people a skill will try, or if they need to, try to do something like that. Where it's a little bit scammy. I'm not a big fan of it, so we we I hope we don't do it at Dev Mountain. If we do, email me. But um, I try to stay pretty close with our marketing team to make sure that doesn't happen.
2: Awesome, Tyler. And is there anything specifically about Dead Mountain youth or uh, you know getting into a career web development that you thought we might discuss? That we haven't discussed yet. I think we
4: know that all. Just if you're getting started, just expect to struggle. Expect to be frustrated. But know that if you persevere through that, it's like like anything. If you persevere, uh, you're going to come out on top.
5: Awesome.
2: Okay, well, let's uh, move on to picks. Dave, do you want to do your
0: picks first? Sure. Okay, so first I have a very unorthodox pick. (laughs) It's a food item, and it's delicious. And it comes from an American store called Costco, which probably most of our American listeners are familiar with, right? Panelists, am I right? Absolutely. (laughs) Costco makes the most delicious peanut butter cup. Kirkland brand. They are so incredibly yummy. That's all I have for you about Costco. <laughs> they are very tasty. The other thing I wanted to pick was Tyler McGinnis, who we've just been talking to, gave a fantastic talk at Mountain West JS 2015.
4: Dave, I'm recommending you. You can't recommend me. It's going to look like we we staged this. Too late. Uh, Too late. Already
0: baited. So anyway, Tyler <laughs> gave a great talk on uh, what I learned about learning, teaching people to program, and it was pretty darn insightful. I really liked it. Now, I haven't seen the video online yet. Tyler, have you seen it?
4: I don't think it's out yet, no.
0: By the time this comes out, which should be uh, middle of March, we should probably have that video online, and I'll try to get it in the show notes so that we can cool. link it. Perfect. The other talk I wanted to pick is Katya Eames's ng talk. I have never seen a speaker able to, in like one sentence, get the audience cheering and clapping on their opening sentence. And she did. Uh, 700 people in the room, and within one sentence, they were all cheering and clapping for her. And then I wanted to pick... Lastly, uh, Mishko Hevery's talk on Angular 2 syntax and semantics from ng These are both, uh, both Katya's and Mishko's talks are available on YouTube right now. And uh, Mishko talks about the new syntax for Angular 2 templates, which is pretty cool looking, and the motivation behind it, which to me was the most important part, instead of just saying, well, now you use a square bracket and now you use a parenthesis. And, you know, it's, he talked about why those things are, and it made a lot of sense to me, and I really enjoyed it, so I wanted to pick that. Those are my picks. Awesome.
2: AJ,
3: you're up. So, unfortunately, I've been kind of in an echo chamber slash cave the past couple weeks, and so I haven't been thinking a lot about, like, cool tools that I've been using or or fun things. I've just been, like, heads down working. But I do have one pick that I can't pick, which is Mandy. The person that makes the podcast really happen, aside from Chuck, that's Mandy. She does all the editing and gets everything worked out and scheduling. Her fiancé buys everything I mention. Anytime I mention a video game or something cool, he goes out and he gets it. Oh, so no. I, <laughs> pick, I pick Mandy's fiancé because he makes me feel awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Careful, AJ. With oh, great that's... power comes great responsibility. <laughs> that's awesome.
3: Uh, just as a fair warning, Mandy, I, I will be putting together a list of all the games I have for Wii U and 3DS and uh, and picking that next week. <laughs>
2: Awesome all right, I'll go and we'll let our guest uh, be our last pick. So today I am mad at Dave for picking my pick. <laughs> obviously uh, I should pick my my daughter's talk double so double I'm gonna, pick. that's right I'm gonna I'm gonna give it the honorary pick because it is my daughter's talk. Uh, I'm glad that you picked it though Dave because it sounds like oh well every, every father would pick what their kid does right but I, I agree with you I think it was actually an amazing great talk great for a conference. so I'll pick that. I'm also going to pick a new program that we did at NGConf this year, which was NGConf Kids, where we had 50 kids come in, and for two days, the Zaniac company came and taught them the fundamentals of computer science. They had a blast. I had a blast watching them do it, and I think it was a huge success overall. And then my third and final pick is going to be the movie Salt with Angelina Jolie. I think it's one of the most awesome movies and one of the best heroines in all of cinema history so i really love the movie salt and that was my
4: third and final pick tyler you are up cool so i was actually going to pick katie as well but i won't because that would make three times triple pick yes anyway so i got some few. you uh the first one is dave smith's talk at angular conf it was angular plus react equals speed and it was fantastic just comparing the two frameworks i know a lot of people like to jump to either side but dave kind of let us all know that that's a silly argument um, and why so that was a great talk and he did some cool comparisons with with Angular 1, Angular 2, and then React. Uh, my next one was a talk by Igor at NGConf called Power Management. And I think a lot of times as developers we get so carried away with like learning and we get carried away with like deadlines and projects and things like that that we forget that we're human and we forget that like we need to take care of ourselves. So Igor did a great job of talking about like neuroplasticity in the brain and the importance of meditation, the importance of self-reflection, uh, which is, I think is a fantastic topic and one that a lot of us forget. And then my third one's kind of self-serving. Um, if you're interested in React.js, I run React.js Newsletter, which is just reactjsnewsletter.com. So just a typical tech newsletter um, that I do every Thursday. And that's some picks.
2: Awesome. Thank you very much. As the uh, show host, I pretty much get to do whatever the heck I want. <laughs> so I'm going to come back in with one more pick. <laughs> uh, and that is because, although Dave Smith's talk was really awesome, I think there's one aspect about his talk that should be mentioned on the show, yes. and that is that he made a small mistake when giving his demo live. And rather than try to ignore it or uh, hopefully just let it sweep under the rug, Dave really stepped up, recorded an addendum that got posted to the YouTube video where he points out that, hey, I made a mistake. I made some things look a little bit different than the reality is. And also talked about the fact that even though you see these sorts of things, don't take this as a judgment that you should be doing your own research and make your own decision and not based on what you see in a talk. And I thought that was really awesome. And we need a lot more of accountability like that in this industry and of those who give talks. So my hat's off to you, Dave, for doing something I think was amazing Absolutely. after you gave an amazing talk.
0: Absolutely. I agree. It was really a wah, wah, wah <laughs> moment for me. <laughs> um, hey, I'll give you a little bonus material for JavaScript Jabber listeners only there is a secret. You can take my little demo app from that talk that these guys are talking about and you can make the Angular 1 version as fast as the React version. uh Uh-oh. If you want to know how, just contact me and I'll give you a leak. (laughs) Cool.
2: I like it. Secret stuff. Okay, well, thanks everybody for listening and we will see you all next week. Thanks again, Tyler, for coming. We appreciate it. Bye,
1: everybody. I missed you. Have you noticed that a lot of developers always land the job they interview for? Are you worried that someone else just landed your dream job? John Sonmez can show you how to do this with the course How to Market Yourself as a Software Developer. Go to devcareerboost.com and sign up using the code Jjabber to get $100 off. This episode is sponsored by React Week. React week is the first week-long workshop dedicated entirely to learning how to build applications in React JS. Because React is just the V in MVC, you'll also learn how to build full applications around React with the Flux architecture, React Router, Webpack, and Firebase. Don't miss this opportunity to learn React JS from Ryan Florence, one of the industry's leading React developers. If you can't make it out to Utah, they're also offering a React week online ticket. Go check it out at reactweek.com. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CacheFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CacheFly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests.